again, we are so, so glad that you've come to worship with us this morning. Genesis chapter number 27, we're going to read the entire chapter here, a little lengthy. Stick with us, and I believe God will bless us as we hear His Word today. Amen. Chapter 27, beginning of verse 1, says these words, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and he said to him, My son. He answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, and my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I have heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me and seem, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. The skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father, and he said, I, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And he said, Bring him near to me that I may eat of my... Son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. His father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. God give you the dew of heaven of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. 
and people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before, or ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Brother came deceitfully. He has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. He said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on earth. By your sword ye shall live, and ye shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, ye shall break his yoke from your neck. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father Jacob are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both of you in one day? Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my wife because of the Hittite women. Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land. What good will my life be? To me. Amen. This is the word of the Lord this morning. We use that phrase in our language, in our lexicon, whatever you want to say. The phrase that says the ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. And of course, by that we mean it doesn't matter how we got to where we are as long as. The desired outcome is good. It's all that matters. As long as what we want is reached, it's all good. Now, sometimes that's perfectly well and acceptable. Monday, our youngest son had a soccer game at the Christian school that they attend, and one of the midfielders got the ball. He was about in the middle of the field, and of course, if you know soccer, his job is to 
get the ball away from the opponents, you know, they're in where the opponent can score and to get it upfield where the strikers can score on their end. And this young man got the ball and he's a big, strong kid and he kicked the ball and he kicked the ball perfectly. And it was high and it was arching and it began to descend right towards the goal. And it went right over the head of the goalie who jumped as high as he could. And I think he got his fingertips on it. But it did not matter. It was too high. The ball was probably wet because it rained like, you know, Noah's flood for about 20 minutes there on Monday. And that ball went into the goal. And the whole stadium or field of about 30 spectators, every man were there. <laughs> I want to make it sound like it, you know. Lincoln Financial Field here, but the whole crowd erupted in shocked applause. And the poor kid, he was the most shocked at all as he threw his hands up over his head. And it's like, wow, I did that? Really? And of course, the coach would never encourage him to shoot the ball and attempt to score from midfield. It just doesn't work that way. Because if it does pass all the other defenders on their team, the momentum of the ball is so slow that the goalie will stop it every single time. But the ends justified the mean. So when you look at the score sheet, it says Faith Christian 3, Trinity Christian 1. Part of that 3 was that miracle goal. But of course, the ends don't always justify the means because one of their teammates... No doubt, seeing a ball and fearing for his life stuck out his hand and the referee blew his whistle and he called handball. You can't use your hands in soccer, which again does not make sense to me. Why don't you pick up the ball and throw it in the goal? You probably have a better chance than kicking it, but that's not the way it works. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. Somebody else did too, and that's why we have our own version of football as Americans, right? <laughs> and we can use our hands to score on that. The ends don't always justify the means. And especially when it comes to God and His plans and purposes in our life. Because God cares not only about the ends, but He also cares about the means. God not only cares about the final result, but He also cares about the journey and the process by which the final result is reached. You see, what we have here in this text is, is really an outcome of God's purpose and plan being borne out. If you'll remember with me in Genesis 25, verse 23, Rebecca is unable to conceive and she prays and God gives her not one but two children at the same time, gives her twins. And, and she goes before God and, and she says, I don't understand what's going on in me. She doesn't have a, an ultrasound like we would have today to see. She goes to God and says, why am I feeling this way? Verse 23 of chapter 25 says, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be divided. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. God's plan was to bring about the redemption of Israel through Jacob, the younger child. 
But we also see in this chapter not just the unfolding of God's purposes, but we also see Jacob and his family doing their best to screw up, to thwart, to ruin God's plan. To ruin what God has planned by inserting themselves and allowing their own desires and passions to get in the way of what God wants. This is where the problem lies when we try, when we are willing to subvert God's intentions, God's purposes and plans and processes or means, we will wind up in trouble. Because God not only cares about the end, He also cares about the process and the way in which we reach this desired end. And here is a family. Yes, God's plans and purposes are being unfolded, and yet their actions are causing grief and trouble and heartache because they fail to live honorably in the sight of God. And so, so we look at this chapter and we notice, first of all, Isaac's appetite. We notice Isaac's appetite is involved. We're told in verse 1 that Isaac is an old man. He's an old man, and of course, with his elderly status, he's, he's losing his eyesight. He's losing his, his vision. He's losing the ability to see. You know, the old joke is that when you get old, there's three things you lose. The first is your memory, and I forgot what the other two are. I don't know what it is. One of them must be eyesight because I'm finding myself in that place where I'm taking my glasses off to be able to read fine print, hearing all kinds of ridicule from three young boys that think they're going to live forever. It's like one day you're going to be my age, and you're going to look like me and act just like me, so get over it, all right? <laughs> No, I'm not, Dad. No, I'm not. Here he is. He's losing his eyesight. But, but what does he do? He calls his son Esau to him. And in verse 2, he says to Esau, Behold, I am old. I don't know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Verse 4, prepare for me delicious food such as I love and, and bring it to me that I may eat and my soul may bless you for I die. We read those verses and we're not at all surprised because we're told again in chapter 25, verse 28 this time, Isaac loved Esau. Why? Because Isaac ate of Esau's game. Isaac loved the food that Esau would make. Now, of course, when we read this passage, we know it's not a sin to be hungry. Okay, God, God created us to need food. That's part of our natural process and survival and thriving as individuals. Nor is it a sin necessarily to enjoy and to, to appreciate fine food. Now, Psalm 104 the psalmist said, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and, and bread to strengthen his heart. The psalmist is saying that God gives us the blessing of rain and the blessing of sunshine, and he does it so that the earth can bring forth fine food, food that can make us glad strengthen us and cause joy 
in our hearts. Isaac desires some of Esau's wonderful wild game. Some of you men may be salivating and, and, and loving the prospect of a freshly killed deer steak. You're waiting for Thanksgiving, not so that you can watch the Cowboys or Lions play football, but so that you can get out in the field and hunt that wild game. Some of you love the idea of wild-caught salmon from the streams of New York as they're beginning to spawn this time of year. Me being the true city boy that I am, think how wonderful it would be to have a burn-in platter from Zarda's Barbecue on 87th Street in Lenexa, Kansas. Really anything from the Kansas City Barbecue Company of 47th and Mission Road, just a, a mile or so from where I grew up and where my parents still live. Perhaps it's a pizza joint in Brooklyn or Queens or Staten Island or Long Island or Manhattan. I have to name all five boroughs so we, boroughs so we don't have a war here between the New Yorkers. Whatever it is, you just love Vinny's pizza, Luigi's pizza. Or probably shouldn't stereotype Italians in such a way, but you, you think how wonderful, how good it would be. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But the problem here is that Isaac is being dominated by his fleshly passions and desires. They're overruling his ability to reason and to think and, and to remember what God has said to them, that it was through Jacob that the promise is going to be fulfilled. And so here he is just hungering, wondering, he's in his, he's in his weakened state, and he thinks, oh, how wonderful it would be for Esau just to give me some of the spoils from his hunt. Again, Genesis 25, verse 23, the Lord said to him, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples are there inside of you, and the older is going to serve the younger. I'm pretty sure that Rebekah probably let Isaac know what God had said. And yet Isaac's passions, controlling him in this moment, controlling his decision-making process. So we notice Isaac here, and then we, then we see Rebekah's desire. Rebecca's desire also plays out here in this chapter. Isaac asked Esau to go and hunt some game for him. We don't know how she found out. Rebecca, his wife, Isaac's wife, hears the request. Perhaps Isaac shows up in the kitchen and he's decked out in his hunting gear and he's got his gun over his shoulder and his bow and arrow, whatever he had back then. He's got his face painted, got his orange vest on, whatever. What does she do? Verse 6 tells us, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Give me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I commanded you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. Of course, the reason for this request is verse 10. She'll bring it to your father to eat so that he might bless you. He might bless you before he dies. Rebecca overhears that Isaac wants to bless Esau. And so what does she do? That's not what God told me. 
That's not what God said. When, when, when I was praying about why, why I'm feeling this way during my pregnancy, God told me the younger was going to serve the older. I like Jacob better. We read that verse. Esau loved, or Isaac loved Esau because Esau would, would fix him food. He was a mound man. He was an outdoor man. And yet Rebekah loved Jacob better. Jacob would help do the dishes. He'd run the vacuum cleaner. He was there. He liked it when I would knit stuff for the tent. Perhaps even knitted himself, whatever it was. I like Jacob better. He helps me do the dishes. So I'll propose this elaborate plan so that we can keep this blessing in his hand. After all, God told me Jacob would be blessed. So we have to act. Give me a goat. Give me a goat. I showed Esau how to cook it when he was young. I'm the one that helped him learn how to skin his, his, his animals. I, I showed him how to cook it, how to season it properly. Bring me that goat and I will show you how to make it. But Mom, I'm not a hairy man. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't exactly shave every day or every two hours or whatever. Don't worry about it. I'll save the ghost skin. We'll put them over your neck and your hands. Uh, you can wear your brother's clothes. Your dad can't see anyway. So, so just bring it to me and we will fool the old man. He'll never know the difference. I'll never understand the beauty of bringing life into the world and what it means for a woman. I'll never understand what that is to know that life lives inside of you. Understand the proclivity to favor one child over another. Sometimes you love them all the same, but you like one more than the other. What do you, what do you say? But yet when your desire, when your when what you want clouds your ability to do what is right, when you're willing to be hurtful to one child simply to favor another, and the desire of, of favoring one child over the other gets in the way of your job as a parent. You're missing the point. You're missing the way that God wants you to live. You're missing how it is that God has called you to be as a parent, as a parent of multiple children. Isaac's desire, we have Rebecca's ambitious desire. And then notice we see Jacob's deceptiveness. His deceptiveness. Rebecca has this great plan. Tells Jacob she'll cook Isaac a meal that he enjoys. She has Jacob grab one of Esau's garments. She takes the skin of the goats and, and puts it over Jacob's hand and on his face. Ultimately, she sends Jacob in to his father. Notice what happens there in verse 18. So he went in to his father and he said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And notice what Jacob does. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Starts off with a lie, doesn't he? I have done as you told me. Here's lie number two. He didn't go out and hunt wild game. Grabbed a goat from the goat pen. It's not that hard. 
Now sit up and eat of my gain that your soul may bless me. Verse 20, Isaac said to his son, how is that you found it so quickly? Answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. I guess we could say that. I guess we could legitimately say, well, God gave me success. But again, he probably went to a goat pen and grabbed a goat out of a goat pen. (laughs) I think if God would have granted success, there would have been a wild animal right there at the front of the tent that would have just fell over dead and died of a heart attack or whatever. So I guess you're not being dishonest, but he is. He knows he is being deceitful and dishonest. Isaac asks for Jacob slash Esau to come close to him and he touches him and he smells him. Look at what happens. He does not recognize him because his hands are hairy like his brother's. So he blessed him and he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he answered, Of course, yes. Yes, I am. Verse 26, His father Isaac said to him, Come here and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and he blessed them and he said, See the smell of my son. It says the smell of a field that God has blessed. Just to remind you, last week, we figured out that Isaac was 100 years old when Esau was married. Now we're not told when this situation occurs. But it does seem at least that Esau is married during this time. We also know in Genesis 35 that Isaac actually lived to be 180 years old. So the question is, is this really occurring on his deathbed again? The Bible doesn't necessarily place everything in chronological history. But if it is on his deathbed, and Jacob and Esau are pretty old in themselves. If it's not, it's at least safe to assume that Jacob and Esau are grown men. Esau was at least 40 years old when he was married. It's safe to say that these are, these are fully grown men capable of making choices and decisions. And that's the point here. That's what needs to be seen. Despite Rebecca's masterminding of this whole situation, Jacob is the one who carries out the actions. He is responsible for the things that happen here. Jacob and Jacob alone. And you're here this morning and you say, I, you don't know my spouse. You don't know how awful that person is that I am married to. And I realize that. Some of you may find yourselves in extremely difficult situations. It's hard to make the right choice. You don't know my parents. You don't know my boss. You don't know my siblings. You don't know my children. Yes, that's hard. I get it. It's never Never an excuse for deceptive, deceitful, underhanded actions on your part. It's never a reason to act in ways that are contrary to the Word of God, contrary to the teachings of Scripture. Because ultimately, no matter how bad your situation might be, 
And for some of you, it may be extremely difficult. You are still responsible for your actions and how you conduct yourself. Again, it does not mean that if a spouse is being abused, that they don't need to get out of the situation. Sometimes divorce is the only option that's called for. Sometimes separation, whatever the case might be. But yeah, you are responsible for your life and how you act, even when someone is mistreating and hurting you. Isaac and his appetite, Rebecca and her ambitious desire, Jacob and his deceitfulness, and again, Fourth point this morning, Esau's Esau's anger. His anger. His anger at the whole situation. It never fails, does it? When you devise this wonderful, deceitful plan that you are going to be discovered. Try to cover up all you want, but be sure your sins will find you out. And look at what we read in verse 30 here. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He's scarcely gone out. The dishes aren't even clean yet. I mean, he's still wiping, you know, ice cream, and pie, apple pie off the side of his face. Still has coffee in his cup from his after, after dinner cup of coffee. Esau comes walking in here. Verse 31, he also prepared delicious food and he brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac is shocked. His belly is full. His pants are unbuckled because... Wonderful meal he's just eating. Who are you? What is, what's going on? I'm Esau. I'm Esau. I'm the one that you told to go get your food. And, and here I am. And, and now bless me, God. Bless me, Father. Verse 36 says, Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? Is he not rightly named Jacob? He has cheated me these two times. Took away my birthright and now he has taken away my blessing. Oh, Father, don't you, don't you have a blessing for me? Jacob, of course, means he takes by the heel, he cheats, he supplants. You know, Jacob has been named as such because he grabbed his brother Esau's heel as we saw when they were born. Yet Esau now comes back and he sees Jacob as being named because of the evil intentions of his heart. Realizes his brother is a deceitful, deceitful individual. This leads to his words there in verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob. He hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. As soon as we get that old man in the ground and throw the last pile of dirt on him, you better believe that I am going to kill my brother Jacob. 
Yeah, I'm going to mourn. I'm going to respect my father. I'm going to let him die in peace. But guarantee you the moment he no longer knows, Jacob, my own twin brother, is a dead man. How easy it is if we're not careful. If we're not careful to let things that happen to us, again, sometimes bitter, hard, difficult things, we're not careful. We can let them ruin us. Writer of Hebrews said, Strive for peace with everyone. Hebrews chapter 12. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble by it many. Many become defiled. You know those words, no root of bitterness? I mean, not a, not a tree, not a great big mighty oak tree like you may have in your yard. Just a little root, a little seed, a little, a little plant that just doesn't seem to be that big a deal. You don't tend to it. You don't take care of it. You don't kill it. You don't mortify it. All of a sudden, many, many are defiled. Esau is a victim of a horrific act. Yet Esau responds by allowing himself to be filled with hatred, to be filled with vengeance, to be filled with bitterness to the place that it ruins his life. We see Isaac and Rebekah act wrongly. Jacob and Esau now are acting wrongly. This leads to my last point here, Jacob's departure. Jacob's departure in his last four or five verses, Esau is raging against his brother. Again, how Rebekah hears about this, how she finds out about it, we're not told. Probably because he's yelling loud enough to go throughout the whole house, throwing stuff around, ruining everything. So what does she do? Verse 42 tells us the words of Esau, her Older son were told to Rebekah, she sent and called Jacob, her younger son. And she said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Rebekah encourages her son to run back to her family. Verse 46, we're told, she tells Isaac, he's got to go. I'm tired of these women that Esau married. And certainly that was in God's providential plan for them not to intermarry with the Gentile, the pagan people that were there. But yet look at what verse 45 says. Rebecca tells Jacob, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done for you, then I will send and bring you from there. Notice these words, why should I be bereft of you both? Why should I lose both of my children in one day? The surprising twist, Rebecca realizes she is on the verge of losing not just Esau. She's lost Esau. He knows 
that Rebecca is part of this plan, part of this scheme. And, and how, can a, how can a son not react against his own mother who does that to him? She realizes she might also lose Jacob. All I wanted to do was take care of my favorite son, and now I'm on the verge of losing both. Both of my children. The old saying is true, right? Oh, what desperate web we weave when at first we attempt to deceive. As I said in this title, my message here, what do you do when everyone is wrong? There's no one in this story that comes out looking good. There's no one in this story that has it right. There's no one that does. I mean, Isaac should know better than just to be controlled by his lustful appetites. Rebecca should know better than to deceive her own husband. Jacob should know better than to deceive his father. Esau should know better than to be filled with hatred and vengeance towards his brother. What do you do? What do you do? So let me give you some thoughts again as I started. God not only cares about the ends, He also cares about the means. He cares about the means. He cares about the process. He cares about the journey we are on. He wants us to grow in our walk with Him and in our relationship with Him. And what God is doing in your life each and every day and with every encounter that you have with another individual, He is shaping and molding and forming you to become more and more into the image of His Son. God cares about how you live your life. So many of us, we think we come to faith in Christ. It's like a to-do list, right? I check it off and it's done. I use one on my computer or my phone or whatever and I check it off and it gives me this nice little bing sound and then the task is gone, disappears. We think, yeah, I, I've given my heart to God. I've, I've given Him my life. I said, yes, I walked forward at a, a Billy Graham crusade or I walked forward at a youth camp and, and, and that's good. Now I just wait till I die and... I'll be in heaven by and by. No, God cares about your life here today and right now. If you're here and you're allowing sinful things to, to, to invade your life and to permeate your life, God sees it. And he knows and He cares. And when you do these things, as I mentioned, God knows and they will, you will be found out. Wants us to grow in our walk with Him. And everything that happens in our life, good or bad or whatever, is an opportunity for us to either become more like Him or to give in to our desires. Second point we need to realize is that we are ultimately responsible. You are responsible for your choices and your actions. You are. You are. Some of us make bad choices and then we sit around and we act like, well, I don't understand. I do understand. You are the one that made that choice. 
Sometimes it's, it's not a result of any action that we have done. It's, it's a circumstance of living in a fallen world. And fallen world sometimes brings sickness and cancer. Takes a loved one from us too soon. And find ourselves being filled with bitterness and disappointment. Anger at God. You're responsible for those actions. You're responsible for how you're going to live. And again, I I hope and I pray that this never happens to me or never happens to anyone else, at least while I'm here. But you will bear culpability. You will bear responsibility for your choices, for your attitudes, for your words, for what you say and do regardless of what happens to you. Again, sometimes people wrong us in very bad and bitter ways. Sometimes we have to make very difficult choices. Through it all, God is calling to you and saying, are you going to honor me through that process? Despite the failures that are listed in this story, let's not just end on this very bad note here. Let's look our head. Let's remind ourselves that God is still in the redeeming process. God is still in the redeeming process. Guess what? Guess what we're going to see next week? We're going to see a man. By the way, I'm not telling you too much. You have to come next week. So, so don't think, oh, I got it, got it today. We're going to see a man who has nothing. Laying in the middle of a desert with nothing using a stone for a pillow because he, again, has nothing. Guess what? God meets him there, gives him a visitation. Angels are ascending and descending from Jacob to God. God changes Jacob's life there, the middle of this wilderness that he is in. Despite his struggles, despite all that he's going through, and we see where these actions, I mean, he's going to meet his brother, and he's, he's a very wealthy man, and he's sending his brother gift after gift after gift, and he sends all of his kids and all of his servants, and he thinks, well, maybe if Esau kills all them, maybe he'll be done killing people. By the time he gets to me, I'll be last. That's further down the road. I don't know what week. Just come every week and you'll know. Despite this, God redeems Jacob. God takes the man who is a supplanter and he calls him Israel, a prince of God. Your life, your mistakes don't have to define who we are if we are willing to start today and right now and receive the forgiveness of God and the grace of God in our life. Our lives can be changed. They don't have to be defining legacy upon us. What you have to do is start where you are. Been singing a song and only thought about the last couple days and didn't get it to the worship team in time, but it's a newer song out there called The Heart of God. It says, Here I stand before you now. As honestly as I know how, broken by the days gone by, Spirit helped my soul to rise. I, I try my best, but still I fail, and even then you're with me there. 
remind me I'm a child of God regardless of the things I've done. My hope is found. Perfect love. The chorus is what sticks out to me. It says, your mercy triumphs over judgment. Love wider than horizon, stronger than all sin. Lord, your kindness is what leads us to repentance to the heart of God. It is the kindness of God that you are here this morning and you're feeling the weight of what you have done and God is telling you right now, you can be forgiven. You can be restored. You can make things new. Verse 3 says, they say that it's impossible to ever save a sinner's soul. But my God says to the prodigal, my beloved one, you're welcome. You're welcome home. Lord, your mercy triumphs over judgment. Love wider than the ocean, stronger than the sin. Lord, it's your kindness and leads us to repentance to the heart of God. It is the kindness and mercy of God that works in Jacob's life. It's the kindness and mercy of God that's being extended to you. So I ask you this question as we finish today. Are you, are you Isaac? being controlled by those lustly appetites, giving in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? Are you, Rebecca, filled with such ambitious, ambitious goals and dreams? I'm going to be CEO, and I don't care who I have to hurt on the way to the top of the ladder. I'm going to get there. I got to run you over. Sorry. Are you, Jacob, willing willing to stab your twin brother, willing to stab your father in the back. Maybe you're cowering like Jacob is to his mom. Don't stand up to her and say it's wrong. Maybe you're Esau filled with bitterness and pain and hurt because of what somebody has done to you. I tell you this morning, the grace of God, the kindness of God is saying to you, come back. Come back and receive my forgiveness. Come back and receive my mercy. Come back and find my love. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? I am forgiven as Christ was forsaken. Let's pray this morning, shall we? Worship team, why don't you come? Again, wherever you find yourself in life, I challenge you that you would find yourself at the foot of the cross today. I pray that you find yourself receiving the love and mercy and kindness of God. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you grace. I wish this morning I would just take my hand and just wave it over your situation and make it disappear, and I, and I, I just can't. I know that God can give you grace and mercy to help you in your time of need. God can offer forgiveness in your time of difficulty. God can remind you of, your, of his great love. Don't have to be like Rebecca and Isaac and Jacob and Esau. You can be someone who walks before God. 
purity and honesty of heart. Receive his forgiveness. And Father, help us to do that. Pray for the one here who's given in to those sinful desires again and again and again. Pray that you would help them to walk away this morning. Lord, I pray the one who's let their own selfish ambitions get in the way of their relationships with their spouse or their children or their parents. Pray that today they would make things right. Pray especially for the one who's been hurt and wounded in a great way. God, they would not allow that bitterness and that anger to fester in the hatred murderous thoughts God they will bring forgiveness and offer forgiveness Lord even if they have to make difficult choices to separate themselves from hurtful environments may their heart be right and pure before you through it all remind us today most of all that we are loved and forgiven our great God has come into our life we ask this work we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand together as we finish? Let's sing this song. Let these words wash over your soul today. <laughs>